0: Hello, and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm your co-host, Katie Helper, And
1: I'm Aaron Mattei sitting in for Matt Taiby.
0: For a long time. For a while, get used yeah. To it. yeah. He's here. He's get, he wants you to get used to it.
1: Stop not writing me. Anywhere. It doesn't matter. I'm not leaving. Matt is writing a book. When he finishes the book, he'll be back. Until then, you got to deal with, uh, you can call me Aaron mate How about that?
0: Oh, I like that, Aaron Matei. Is that a
1: compromise? Is yeah, that a compromise? Good. Okay,
0: that's good. That's really <laughs> good. Yeah, I, I did. You just think of that on the spot?
1: No, I, I think uh, no. I've I've had that pun in the works for a long time. Um, wow! I worked before it.
0: you knew about. Replacing oh yeah, it. well I
1: used to watch Useful Idiots every single week, and I would I would just stare at the screen and picture myself in the co-host chair, and I would just say to myself over and over, "I'm Aaron Mateyevi. I'm Aaron Mateyevi."
0: Yeah, you manifested finally, it. I
1: manifested it, exactly. That's great. That's
0: amazing. <laughs> Well, we got a great show for you today. We have an amazing guest, um Mansour Daifi, who is someone who spent um 14 years in Guantanamo and we are bringing you this show because it is the 20-year anniversary of the opening of Guantanamo. He has a great book, uh, Don't Forget Us Here Lost and Found in Guantanamo that he's going to talk about. It sounds like a it's a depressing chat and there of course there's a lot of very sad and disturbing stuff that we talk about, but he's such an inspiring and inspired person that it's actually an uplifting chat at the same time.
1: No, it's a pretty incredible story. And, uh, we're very fortunate to be able to talk to him and to, uh, you know that he first of all survived to be able to tell the story because as he talks about other people that were with him in guantanamo did not make it and just the way he's been able to go through such hell and still come out of it the way he has is just uh it's pretty incredible and he has a lot to say yeah. and it's a pretty amazing conversation
0: so let's go through the four basic food groups the democrats suck republicans suck isn't that weird isn't that terrible so you got dems this week right
1: i got dems this week and i had to go with The uh, red carpet rollout for one Dick Cheney, speaking of Guantanamo Bay, the uh, vice president under George W. Bush, who oversaw the opening of Guantanamo, the kidnapping of so many people like our guest Mansoor, the torture of them, and of course, the invasion of Iraq and other crimes. But because it was this week, the anniversary of January 6th, which In the eyes of uh, many Democrats these days, it seems to be uh, a crime on the level of 9-11. Dick Cheney was welcomed at the Capitol with open arms because he's criticized Trump and has basically joined the neocon brigade of Republicans who don't like Trump, not because they care about his racism or sexism or the fact that he... Um, broke the Iran nuclear deal and almost started a war with Iran and many other horrible things that Trump did. They don't like Trump because they don't think he's a suitable steward of the war machine that they've helped build. And Dick Cheney has been a, one of the key figures uh, behind that. And Dick Cheney was welcomed with open arms at the Capitol this week. And As a headline in the uh, Washington Post put it, Dick Cheney returns to the House and receives a warm welcome Dot, dot, dot from Democrats. And uh, that's what it was. There was a parade of Democrats going up to Dick Cheney to shake his hand on the House floor, all because uh, he is joining his daughter, Liz, in standing up to the three hour riot that has been turned into one of the worst things that happened to the US since 9 11 or Pearl Harbor. And for rehabilitating this unrepentant war criminal who, as Matt Taibbi points out in a great article this week on his Substack, has done far bigger damage to the world and U.S. democracy than even Donald Trump. For that, I say that Democrats suck. And I have a bonus part of Democrats suck this week. It's related to January 6th. It's a tweet from Alex Rorty. And he talked about attending some focus groups where the topic of January 6th came up. He says, watch two focus groups with moderate voters last night, put on by a liberal group. Moderator asked first group five women about January 6th. A long pause followed before one of the women asked what he meant. Invoking January 6th didn't immediately mean anything, even days after the anniversary. So I just thought this was so funny because you know, for four years, what did Democrats talk about when Trump was in office? It was basically Russia, Russia, Russia. Then they pivoted to Ukraine and how we needed to arm Ukraine. And if we didn't, our country was going to be invaded by Russia. No matter what you think about the Trump-Russia story, I think it's a safe bet that Russia and Ukraine are not the top concerns of The average american when they wake up in the morning right i think that's a fair bet no matter where you stand on trump or russia or not so now what do democrats do after you know trump is no longer in office the russia thing didn't pan out now basically they're talking if you turn on msnbc or cnn it's january 6th all the time so finally they have here's a window into an occasion where this is put to actual voters to see how they respond to this nonstop democratic fixation and um Invoking January 6th didn't immediately mean anything, even days after the anniversary. And the tweet thread goes on. The conversation didn't get much better from there for Dems in either focus group. Once the convo got going, it was clear January 6th hadn't been memory hold by the first group. But one woman said flat out it wasn't something she worried about anymore compared to other concerns. And two others, after agreeing how awful the attack was, Said they thought Biden and Democrats had gone too far in the way they talked about last. They talked about it last week on the anniversary. One of the women said she thought that they had over embellished it. You don't say. So maybe talking nonstop about a riot at the Capitol and comparing it to 9/11 and Pearl Harbor, where thousands of people died, is maybe over embellishing. And I just think it's such a funny window into just how disconnected Democrats are from the concerns of, you know, the voters they're trying to reach in order to win and what they instead choose to focus on.
0: Right, and I think it's an important point that you made, which is that, you know, there's a lot of disagreement over how important and how significant and what it signifies when it comes to January 6th or Russia Gate. but what I think anyone fair-minded can acknowledge is that the disproportionate energy poured into that is not uh justifiable
1: hence why democrats suck
0: yeah hence why democrats suck yeah and another you know we we have to bring this up democrats suck because gitmo is still open
1: yes and they're meanwhile honoring one of the uh top architects of the uh global so-called global war and terror that caged and tortured so many people there dick cheney and, and they're doing so in the name of trying to defend democracy.
0: Right, it's ridiculous, yes. They are honoring a war criminal and his spawn.
1: And his spawn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so for Republicans suck, I have uh, something that's, you know, more more of a cultural touchstone. Uh, this, is, this guy is not an elected official, but that's fine. We do this for Republicans suck or Democrats suck a lot. I just wanted to show uh, this clip of Tucker Carlson.
2: So yesterday was Sunday. You may have found yourself on the couch idly flipping around the TV dial. And if you flipped far enough, you could have had the shock of your life. Michael Jackson was on Face the Nation. Now, to be clear, this wasn't video of Michael Jackson performing his hit songs in the 1990s. This appeared to be a living version of the international pop star that news reports claim died of a drug OD more than a dozen years ago. And yet, despite those claims, there he was fully undeniably Michael Jackson talking on television. How can that be? Honestly, we have no idea. We're not theologians here. This is merely a news program. We can only show you what we saw. Here it is.
0: There's nothing more important for us to do than protect our Constitution and our democracy. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continu- continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy.
2: See, Michael Jackson. That was him. No Billy Jean. Apparently he's given up singing. Now he's telling lies about politics. Same man. If you've ever seen Michael Jackson, you cannot forget the face. Though so admittedly, he's had a lot of work done since we saw him last.
0: Okay, so that was just Tucker Carlson really putting a lot of work into setting up a joke with very little payoff i mean i'm not a nancy pelosi fan she's had a lot of work done she looks nothing like michael jackson
1: so the joke is just him making fun of nancy pelosi's appearance that's it
0: yeah that's just so i mean wilson you found this actually you you flagged this for me what do you think about it why I, I love
3: that he just he took so long to set it up, and then even after it finishes, he doesn't drop the joke. He still goes with it, and right. it's just so over the top.
0: It's so it's such a bad joke. I mean, this guy so he's just making people... fun of
1: her. He's just making
3: fun yeah. of her appearance. That's it.
0: There's yeah. no what. There's no yeah. Political. Nothing more. No. I okay. no, I was expecting. I was like, wait, is she gonna say like, "I'm bad, I'm bad, you know it," or is like. The way you make me i thought there was going to be some pun like yeah as it
1: stands as it stands that's one of the worst joke attempts i've ever seen yeah it's just it's it's so juvenile
0: it's so juvenile Um, and there's nothing i mean doesn't he have people who do do maybe he's just surrounded by a bunch of yes men no one was like tucker that's not actually that funny and there's no uh resemblance between the two of them uh you may want to cut this bit but tucker hey we'll tell it to you we'll give it to you straight here useful idiots you should workshop your jokes with us
1: i mean it's first of all by the way it's tough to pull off a good michael jackson joke these days at all i mean yeah dave chappelle does it he's had some great bits in his specials chris rock but tucker carlson sorry man no No, yeah this one this one did not fly and and then you're trying to um make fun of uh of a woman's looks it's just ugh. yeah who, do, who does who still does that
0: yeah who still does that
1: yeah.
0: i mean he cares about being sexist and ageist because you know he revels in in rejecting those woke uh labels or the he rejects the problematization of those things i'm sure but yeah. uh still it's just a forget even that aside like it's just stupid it's just a fail you're just not that trend i think he's he's not that funny so he he when he thinks of something that he thinks of as funny it's like he really he really tickles himself. It really tickles him. Stick to your whatever baiting. Stick to your really other to the really good content you provide when you're serious. That's Republican suck. Tuck.
1: Republicans suck. With tuck. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about You know, fusing you know two different world worlds, two very important wor- worlds are you know our livestock, and uh, you know virtual reality, the metaverse, 3D. Uh, headline: in The Washington, in the New York Post, says cows stuck indoors for winter are getting virtual reality goggles to feel like they're outside. Uh, bring some innovation to the uh, awful meat industry. Uh, It says cows poop cows cooped up for the winter are being fitted with virtual reality goggles. So they think they are outside in a summer field and the bamboozled bovines appear to be happier and producing more milk. This could be encouraging, uh, Katie, for Mark Zuckerberg as he uh, expands the metaverse.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: To, you know, know that cows are happier and producing more milk as they enter uh, the realm of virtual reality. Snaps of the experiment have been amusing film buffs on social media where they have been compared to shots from sci-fi classic The Matrix. The movies show mankind living in a simulated reality while machines use their bodies as energy sources. That's right. Keanu Reeves stars as Neo, given a choice between taking a red pill to reveal the truth or a blue pill to forget the revelations. And one fan wrote, you take the short grass, the story ends, you wake up in the pasture and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the long grass, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the human hole goes. And then we have some uh we have some Matrix cow puns like the Matrix reuttered and sorry, sorry, the Mutrix reuttered and the Mutrix ruminations. Brilliant. It's brilliant stuff.
0: Oh, the poor cows, they're so cute. And there's an image of one wearing these goggles. I, I wonder what kind of psychological studies they can for, for humans they can take this. Uh, well, we rest thing.
1: assured, Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg's all over it. Right. I mean, he, he wants that data. I wonder though if when you're, you know, when you're ordering meat from now on, you know how you can order like, you know, organic beef only. Like yeah. whether this will become an option if you only want to eat virtual reality.
0: Right. Inf- exactly. uh, infused I only cows. Eat virtual reality yeah. Infused uh, yeah. cows. Yeah.
1: That should become an option. Yeah. This could be a whole new, whole new field of uh, of the bovine industry.
0: Yeah. A whole new pasture,
1: a whole new pasture.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's so sad because it just reminds us of how cows have feelings. So they really need to be treated better.
1: Things are so bad for cows that even virtual reality is, is an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. That's dark.
0: That's, that's dark. dark. Yeah. That yeah. just verges into, isn't that terrible? Well, we're, we, as we always, we often do on this show, we kind of play with boundaries and the, the terrible and weird often overlap and intersect because we're an intersectional show. Yes, um, so I'm going to go speaking of which I'm going to go to a isn't that terrible, which is kind of an isn't that weird? ah, screw it l a p d cops hunted Pokemon instead of responding to robbery. officers two thousand seventeen hunt for snorlax recorded by in-car system. court upholds firing, so this is a story. this is very interesting, but before I get into the story, I gotta ask something how is this game played this pokemon go searching for snorlax played
3: so in real life there are pokemon in different places and you can see through your phone on the app where they are so you can see that oh over on first Ave there is a pikachu and so you go and you can actually and you throw one of your pokeballs at it like they do in pokemon and you can catch it and then you can collect so it's in the in the show they actually collect pokemon and so you can do that in real life. And that way, like Hillary Clinton says, you can Pokemon go to the polls.
0: That was amazing when when she said, I don't know about I don't know who invented Pokemon Go, but I don't know who created Pokemon Go. But I'm trying to figure out how we get them to have Pokemon go to the polls.
1: And that's why she won. I mean, that's that was why, the key. That yeah. was the key to her success in that's 2016 when she success, swept yeah. the election and gave us four years of an incredible presidency. And um, you know, kudos to her for having the grace to step down and let Joe Biden take take the right. helm after you know her great run.
0: So here's the thing: I just needed to get that uh, background so so that people would understand this. So. A California appeals court has upheld the firings of two Los Angeles de- Police Department officers who failed to respond to a robbery in progress and instead went searching for Snorlax in the Pokemon Go augmented reality game. And they were being recorded by a digital in-car video system, D-I-C-V-S, when they decided to catch a Pokemon after not responding to a robbery on Saturday, April 15, 2017, according to the California Court of Appeal ruling, issued Friday. A board of rights found the officers, quote, guilty on multiple counts of misconduct, and quote, based in part on the, quote, recording that captured petitioners willfully abdicating their duty to assist a commanding officer's response to a robbery in progress and playing a Pokemon mobile phone game while on duty, the ruling said. these, These two cops tried to push back saying that the camera shouldn't be used against them because that's not what they're meant to record. Um, But that didn't stand. And at first they lied. So they were investigated. They were asked about what they were doing during this, the robbery when they had radio call to respond to a robbery. They denied. Like first they said that they didn't hear it. But now we know that that's not true. After communications made a second attempt to contact petitioners, the petitioners are the two cops who are found guilty, to contact petitioners. Officer Lozano asked if they should quote, ask communications if there is a message, end quote. Officer Mitchell replied, it's up to you, whatever you think. I don't want them to think we're not paying attention to the radio, end quote. Lasana responded, ah, screw it, end quote. Petitioners made no attempt to respond over the radio when their unit was called. They, instead of going towards the robbery scene, they moved backwards through the alley and turned away from the mall The mall where the robbery was occurring officer mitchell alerted lozano that snorlax just popped up at 46 and limer after noting that limer doesn't go all the way to 46 lozano responded oh you know what i can do i'll go down 11 and swing up on crenshaw i know that way i can get to it for approximately the next 20 minutes the uh dicvs captured petitioners discussing Pokemon as they drove to different locations where the virtual creatures apparently appeared on their mobile phones. On the way to the Snorlax location, Officer Mitchell alerted Officer Lozano that a quote Togetic just popped up, noting it was on Crenshaw just as of the 50th. After Mitchell apparently c- caught the Snorlax exclaim and got him, petitioners agreed to go get the Togetic and drove off. When their car stopped again, the DICVs uh, CVS recorded Mitchell saying, Don't run away, don't run away, while Lasana described how he buried it and ultra ball ball, the togetic before announcing got him. Mitchell advised he was still trying to catch it, adding, Holy crap, man, this thing is fighting the crap out of me. Eventually, Mitchell exclaimed, Holy crap, finally, apparently in reference to capturing the togetic, and he remarked, The guy the guys are going to be so jealous. So Wilson tell me what your thoughts are as someone who knows what these things mean is this a game is this just a social media moment what are they doing here
3: well i'm i'm fully on the side of the cops it's a snorlax katie you you're gonna you're gonna give up a snorlax you you know more than anyone you don't a a pikachu maybe
0: but not a snorlax
1: aaron what do you think I see because I don't know. I don't understand actually what a Snorlax is. Yeah. Neither do I, I don't.
0: But then they should go out like heroes and just own that they were looking for that mythical creature, which they said, that's what I don't get. They said right. they were they should going to be
3: the Kings in jail.
0: Yeah. They insisted they did so both as part of an extra patrol and to chase this mythical creature. So if they were chasing this mythical creature, that's what they were doing. Even if it's not advertised as a game, it's a game, right?
3: Oh yeah, totally. It doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: So you know what, I'm torn because uh, part of me likes this type of misconduct from cops. Like if all all police misconduct could be limited to playing uh, Pokemon, that would be great if that's what their lives were about. Also, you know, I think cops probably, you know, maybe instead of fighting crime, we could distract, they could actually do less damage if they were just playing Pokemon. It's an isn't that terrible. It's an example of real cowardice, I think.
1: For all that funding the the police get, I wonder if there should be some money allocated for, you know, Pokemon go addiction issues.
0: You're right.
1: You know, what if, what if this is a, you know, widespread problem among all police forces, like this is, you know, and what if really add funding for
3: military grade equipment in the Pokemon universe. That would help. That would always help. Right. Military threatened. Yes. They feel
0: safer in going after the Pokemon.
1: Exactly yeah and that's a good call back to last week matt when we talked about how i think it was for Republicans suck how there was a call for military great equipment for the police in virginia to help fight snow
0: help fight snow help yeah. fight snorkelax <laughs> is that what did i get the name right
4: Snor- snorlax Snorlax. yeah, yeah.
0: what would be funny is if they've been engaged in a high-speed chase after some a suspect and they we're like, oh, just one second. Let me just do this. Let me go down the street instead.
1: There is something still pretty cute about the story. The idea of right. these two cops being so into Pokemon Go. I mean, this is not like they're like, you know, dealing drugs on the side or firearms. Right. They're, they're right. playing Pokemon Go. And that's
0: right. There's
1: something charming about that.
0: If only that was the thing, the egregious behavior cops engaged yeah. in. So that's my isn't that terrible. Or maybe isn't that adorable?
1: It is not adorable? Yeah. yeah. Terrible slash adorable.
0: I mean, I'll throw in a terrible, which is that Eric Adams, this also Democrats suck, and this is more serious than our terribles, but I feel like I'd be remiss to not mention the fact that um, the landlord, you know, we we now know 17 people were killed in a fire in the Bronx on Sunday caused by a malfunctioning space heater that sparked a fire. The, The landlord was part of Eric Adams' transition team.
1: And they, instead of, you know, talking about the lack of safe, affordable housing, they're blaming the tenants.
0: They're blaming the the tenants for having on a heater and for not closing their doors when actually the doors were supposed to be self-closing. There were heating issues in the apartment, which is mm-hmm. why they were using that, that space heater in the first place. So, but that's the really scary part. I think also that, that the landlord of the building is on Eric Adams transition team. That's an, isn't that terrible? And Democrats suck.
1: Unfortunately, there's a lot of sucky Democrats and a lot of terrible. Yeah out there and they often go together.
0: Yeah. So that's it. Anything else? Any other stories you want to talk about from this week?
1: There's the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, and uh, it looks like there are talks ongoing between the US and Russia to resolve that. I'm sorry to to disappoint many pundits in the US, but it doesn't look like there's going to be a war, at least for now. And I know that's a hard thing for people to swallow. Cold War advocates, neocons in Washington really want conflict. For some reason right. to break out between the world's top nuclear powers they really want the u.s to um you know escalate its uh, military support to ukraine on top of the already massive amount of weapons that go there but it looks like for now there's not going to be a war so i just want to express my condolences to neocons and their allies everywhere right. at the uh, at this unfortunate uh, extension of diplomacy though although i'm not optimistic that anything will be resolved In the words of the Washington Post, they they interviewed this anonymous U.S. government official who specializes in Russia. And this official said that basically uh, they think that Russia is interested in real dialogue and Russia basically wants to see if the U.S. is willing to accept any constraints on U.S. power. And that's what to me this is about. It's not about whether Putin's going to conquer Ukraine, because I don't think Putin wants to do that. Why would he? Uh, And if he had wanted to do that, he could have done that by now, you know, take over the parts of Ukraine that identify with Russia and the Donbass and that are fighting the Ukrainian government. I think it's about, you know, Russia basically trying to see if the U.S. will stop using Ukraine as a bullet stopper, as a uh, as a proxy in this Cold War, new Cold War confrontation with Russia. And that would entail basically pledging to stop expanding NATO to Russia's borders, including uh, by uh, pledging not to admit Ukraine and to not position U.S. weapons in countries like Ukraine. And we'll see if the U.S. can accept any of that. And if they do, I think it would be um, a good thing for world peace. But that would be a bad thing for weapons contractors and neocons in Washington. So we'll see if, right. even, if even something approaching that is, is acceptable to to Biden. But what's funny is is that right now, too, there's this effort to stop this pipeline. Uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline going from uh, Russia to Germany and the rest of Europe. And Ted Cruz right now has a measure that wants to just impose, new, reimpose sanctions on uh, on Russia, Germany and anybody else who who takes part in this pipeline. Uh, and the Biden administration is actually lobbying Congress against it because, you know, for the rest of Europe, if this goes through, it would be a nightmare because it would basically shut off this vital source of gas that comes from Russia to the rest of Europe and people would suffer. Uh, heating costs would rise and people would freeze. And so Germany is basically begging the U.S. not to do it. But people like Ted Cruz and Washington are so hellbent on confrontation with Russia. The, that's all they care about. And the irony of Biden lobbying against this is that, you know, again, this is another case where Biden has a overall A softer stance on Russia than the Trump administration, which we were told from the Biden camp and others for four years was doing Russia's bidding because Trump was a Putin puppet. In reality, Trump and his administration were hawks and dangerous hawks on Russia, ratcheting up confrontation. This is one more example of Biden doing something that if Trump had done, that would be seen as more evidence that he really is being blackmailed and controlled by. Putin.
0: Right. You look at that. And that's our Russiagate nugget of the of the week.
1: If you want to tune back, I got, I got, I got one for you every single week because uh, I know, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and let's just, without any further ado, let's go to the great interview we have lined up for you today. This week marks the 20-year anniversary of the opening of Guantanamo, and we have an amazing guest who's talking to us, um, Mansur Adifi. He's one of the first prisoners uh, who was brought to Guantanamo. He's the author of Don't Forget Us Here, Lost and Found at Guantanamo. He was held for over 14 years without charges as an enemy combatant. He was released to Serbia in 2016, where he still struggles to make a new life for himself and to shed the stigma of being a suspected terrorist. You can follow Mansour on Twitter at M-A-N-S-O-O-R-A-D-A-Y-F-I. And you can find out more about him at his website MansoorAdaifi.com Welcome, Mansour. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: And, um, of course, this week is a solemn anniversary. It's been 20 years since the um, opening of of Gitmo. Um, And you wrote a very moving book about your experiences there. Uh, Don't Forget Us, uh, Lost and Found in Guantanamo. Wanted to know, before we got into your book, which is really excellent, uh, if you could talk about the the group of uh, uh, Guantanamo prisoners that you're part of. There are seven of you who published an open letter calling on Joe Biden to close um, Guantanamo and to enact an eight-point plan that you came up with. So can you talk about what that plan is?
4: Yeah, uh, first of all, before we talk about uh, the eight-point plan, let's give a little introduction to uh, Guantanamo. As you know, Guantanamo, this is yesterday, was the 20th anniversary of uh, Guantanamo, 7,306 days. Today is 7,307 7, days today. So basically, Guantanamo was created and established outside uh, of the of the justice system, housed around 800 men, uh, 15 nationalities, uh, 20 languages. Um, the youngest detain was only a few months old. The oldest one is 105 years old 20 years uh, of uh, uh indefinite detention uh, 20 years of, of torture uh, abuses 20 20 years of injustice 20 years uh, 20 years of violation the, of the basic human uh, right so basically people or uh, mean at guantanamo they have no right they have no access to any uh, justice now for administration work uh, have been uh, since the opening of Guantanamo you know George W. Bush the one who established Guantanamo then uh, President uh, Barack Obama who wanted to close the detention but failed then uh, Trump who promised to keep it uh, open and he did and uh, now we are in with the Mr. President Biden who said he will close it and we are still waiting to see some kind of, kind of tangible uh, steps so uh, uh, last year when after uh, Biden was elected, we sent a letter uh, signed by a letter by uh, six former Guantanamo detainees suggesting a roadmap for the closure of Guantanamo. Based on our uh, uh, experience, based on our research, because I have been researching Guantanamo for the last few years. It was part of my graduation degree, bachelor degree in management. My thesis was about rehabilitation and reintegration of former Guantanamo detainees into social life and the labor market so we sat and we talked about what the best way to close Guantanamo because it's a matter of well if they wanted to close Guantanamo it can be closed but unfortunately Guantanamo turned to be a political gain between the uh, Republicans and the Democrats and and it's not about humanity it's not about uh, justice, justice about the prisoner there it's about the, the political gain that they can get uh, from it. Most the Democrats hesitant to do it because it might fire back or sometime, you know, the uh, Congress uh, made many obstacles for the closure of uh, Guantanamo. But until yesterday, we uh, we received the news that uh, at least 18 detainees or, or prisoners had been cleared for release. And so far, the uh, uh, Biden administration have released only one uh, prisoner to Morocco uh, last year. And I
1: hope, you know, 18 have been great. This is the right step toward the closure of Guantanamo. People watching this or listening to this are going to be hearing, a lot of people are going to be hearing your story for the first time. So I wanted to just ask you to go back and take us how you landed in Guantanamo. You were born and raised in Yemen, and you went to Afghanistan to conduct some research, and that landed you in Guantanamo. So if you go back and tell us that story. I am,
4: Sorry, I am Masur al-Dhaifi, a former Guantanamo detainee, a Yemeni citizen, and now I am in where? Basically, I raised in, was raised in, uh, in a rural uh, village in Yemen in the, on the mountain, a very conservative uh, family and a tribe uh, society. Is it like at a tribe society, as you know? No. Now, in, in Yemen, it's still like the tribe... Uh, System still exist, strongly still exist. At the age of when I finished my high uh, secondary school, I moved to the city to finish my high school. And from there, I started interacting with the world, basically. Because where I live in the, in the village, we have no electricity, no running water, no uh, any kind of uh, basic infrastructure there. It's just basically tribe society. So the city was a new world. From that I started, you know, uh, finished my high school and I was really interested in learning, in uh, studying computer science. Although there was, at that time, there was no any really kind of uh, education about technology in our education system. It's corrupted and still it is. So it was, we had only one uh, uh, private uh, university about uh, called university of uh, science and technology. it was really hard because it was really expensive part-time i used to study as one of the uh, institute beside my high school i studied uh, history and uh, like arabic language the head of the uh, institute he had like one of the most influential characters at that time so Uh, he used to give some recommendation letters to students to go study in gulf countries like in qatar or saudi arabia other countries and they you can get like free scholarship to study there. So I tried with him. Uh, 2002, uh, you know, and by the end of 2000, I think, yeah, in nine, 1999, 1998, 1999, there was really a strong presence of Al-Qaeda, especially when Osama Bin Laden, uh, at that time there was like a vacuum in the media and it was a lot of attention to Al-Qaeda, Osama Bin Laden, and the, the fight, as, as you see the fight between Osama Bin Laden and United States, uh, most people are talking about 9-11 or aftermath, but they don't actually talk about what happened before 9-11. It is really important to talk about what happened 9, uh, before 9-11 to understand why 9-11 happened in the first place and what, the, what 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 caused that to happen. And so basically one of the things that happened in
1: Yemen at that time, the attack on U.S. is coal. This is the USS Cole. This is a U.S. warship that was docked in the yeah. of Yemen, yes. attacked uh, by a suicide bomber.
4: Yeah, it was also al-Qaeda. And at that time it brings a lot of attention to Yemen. And uh, so uh, the, the the head of the institute, he was one of the uh, authors and one of the most influential, Sheikh ali He was asked by Saudi government and Yemeni government to write a book about the new uh, groups, al-Qaeda, Taliban and those groups, because, you know, from the government that they wanted to stop this ideology uh, from spread. So he wanted to try to book about it. But at that time, as you know, in our countries, we had no internet, there is no access to the media, no access to. The... Basically, if you need to do conduct research, you have to travel, you have to collect information, books, and everything you need to so I was sent as a research assistant to, uh, with other uh, men to do some kind of like research about in Afghanistan about the and Taliban and other groups and to know more about that people because it's just a normal research.
1: And the promise to you was that if you did this, uh, this would help you get into university, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, it was like, it
4: was my dream to finish my uh, college in computer science and university. And uh, cause I really love the the the, the life in the city and the world because when you live your entire life in a in a small uh, tiny uh, real vill- uh, uh, village away from everything it became like when you when i arrived in the city wow this is the life you know electricity building cars and you know, like everything as well as fascinating by computers because when i uh, during my time there was like advertisement giving courses in uh, in computer you know all day like those and uh, so i saved some money and i want to take one of the one of the course in those uh. (laughs) but it was it was expensive i took really like it was like twice a week you know one hour but you know spent a lot like i i I couldn't afford to buy a computer but i i couldn't wait to go there and just sit in front of that machine like listen and it was like fascinating when you listen and working on those, uh, learning about it, and you know, especially when you go to those different programs. So yeah, yeah, I well, was like, this is my dream. So it was like what's so heavy. It's going to take only a few months. Get back and travel also. So also, I wanted to travel. To be honest, to know more about the world. I'm like curious, energetic, uh, hyperactive. So, alright, in Afghanistan, we started doing our research, interviewing, researching, and. And when I arrived in Afghanistan, I was like shocked, and surprised. You know, <laughs> I arrived in Pakistan is like also different world. When I arrived in Afghanistan, I felt wow, I couldn't believe. Like you feel, you live in the mid centuries, literally. The building, the people, the way of clothing, you know, uh, the hardship of life. You can see it in the people on the people face. So the only thing that connects you to the future, <laughs> the cars, the moving cars. Other than this, it's just it's like different era, it's like different time. So uh, when I arrived in Kabul, I could see the scars of the civil war that left the country, torn down buildings, you know, uh, damaged buildings everywhere. Then one day we were in the restaurant. We heard that there was there was an attack in the United States. Airplanes flew into a tower. I mean. Someone told me it's 110. It's a big problem. I said, like, oh, okay. Uh, in Yemen, we had 100. We had like 25 uh, floors, but we didn't even allow it to go near that building. It's like it's owned by one of the private uh, uh, airplane uh, companies. So we guess we saw it, but I, I never felt, oh, what 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 does it mean to be in like even like 10 building uh, floors or something. So we didn't pay much attention to what uh, to what happened because you know, in Afghanistan there was no anything kind of like media or TVs and that media that happened outside of Afghanistan, people even didn't didn't feel it because, you know, it's like as I told you, you feel in different air of the world. I was staying at one of the charity organization who work in for Saudi government work, uh, like as a charity for logistic, providing some uh, kind of like relief support for the you know like there is severe poverty in Afghanistan. Uh, then after nine eleven, the that charity, the head of uh, the head of the charity received some kind of instruction from Saudi Arabia that he should he should liquid everything and leave as soon as possible, and. Uh, so basically, my one of the guys I was with with his mom. So we are, we we have to leave, and we are going to liquid everything to send all the stuff we have to the hospitals to the people who need, We are we leave. Our he I he was visiting uh, one of the uh, Kunduz uh, city. Like you have staff for the hospital
1: there. Kunduz, yeah.
4: Yeah, and uh, he said we cannot wait two weeks for uh, airplane because it was like every two weeks the uh, the flight. And I said we we can't totally, uh, take a few hours to get there by the car and it was a new car, blue toyota beautiful car. We load everything into the the car and we we uh, we uh, travel <laughs> and we were ambushed by one of the world lords because after eleven there was like switching loyalties between the you know, because united states and it's a lie. Starting buying people with money and so on. As you know, in those societies, people are people switching loyalties for money, and you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like a process of war. So we were, they were interested in our car, basically, from the beginning, because they saw beautiful a new car, and this is our car now. This is my car. The world, Lord, this is my car. It's not your car. And they knew, they knew that person who worked for years for the charity organization, and they said, okay, now uh, we are going to let you go. Then uh, we were sold to another warlord uh, warlord who, who sold us to the American for bounty money. That when Americans came to Afghanistan, they threw flyers offering a large bounty of money if anyone who can bring any foreigners, especially Arabs. So I was sold as al-Qaeda commander insider. then I was taken to the black side, 1019 in the black side, basically. And uh, I was interrogated to be uh, Egyptian general who uh, you need know, money laundering traveling uh, planning uh, nairobi under some attacks and all of things i admitted to everything because under the torture no sleep no beating no food cold naked hanging i mean it's one of the worst experience but the problem was i didn't have the details to give them
1: and then these I'm, are these are americans
4: Torturing yeah, yeah. you and
1: interrogating you and they're asking yeah. you, they think you're an Egyptian commander of Al-Qaeda. Yes, then yes, basically. Then and I was so And at first did you at first did you deny being the person who they were accusing you of?
4: Yeah, of course. My friend told me when he said the Americans I are like, don't worry, you, your friend will be okay because Americans uh, are here and they understand, you know, they they are not like those savages or so like especially we talk about and some Arab countries. He said, No, they are not like Arab savages. They knew who we are and they go, then let's go school. We have nothing to do it with it, anything.
0: Where was your this, friend from who said that?
4: Saudi, basically, yes.
0: Uh.
4: And uh, when we end up in the hand of the Americans, it was one of the worst experience, you know, and end in, up in like, you know, though when they um when the special on the CIA came, they had no information about the people in Afghanistan, no profiles, no photos, no names, nothing. And anyone can suspect or anything. Anyone is a suspect, you know, basically. And as you know, like war on terror, it just fired back. We it's a war of terror. And uh, Bush administration misused and abused Nag. Uh, so after the black side, I was shipped, I was uh, transferred to Kandahar detention again then inter- another way of interrogation, another people, many many countries, you know, many French uh, British uh, different countries, different delegations, different interrogators. I mean, then to Guantanamo. another story. This is my story how, in short words, I mean, the process we read the book is just different journey. Yeah.
0: and can I just ask one question before the next you go on to the next chapter? which is that you were um, America was offering money for people who were allegedly involved in Al Qaeda or or part of the Taliban. Um, But there was no was there any verification process for this or or all people had to do was like word of mouth and say, that's the guy that's a bad guy.
4: No, I mean, like uh... If you go back to the City uh, Hall University report, ECLU and other reports, that 86% of the prisoners in Guantanamo were either mistaken identity or sold for bounty. They, they, the Americans didn't do any kind of like verification or, because they have no idea. They have no profile, no names. They have wanted this for like around 25 or something. Other than this, you know, if I told you that they we're going to talk about Guantanamo, the youngest detainee was only three months old. The oldest was 105 years old. So basically, um, those men who were uh, brought Guantanamo, they weren't in the battlefield, like fighting and holding a slogan. They were brought from different parts of the world. We are talking about over 50 nationalities, 20 languages spoken. People were brought from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, uh, Bosnia, Mauritania, United Arab Emirates, Yemen, Africa. Many countries handed those men either for money or for cooperation when they the United States. Because as you know, uh, George W. Bush, he said, either, either with us or with the terrorists. Basically, he divided. Like, if you are not on our side, you're in our, you're you our enemy. So, and they 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 launched what they call a global war on terror, and anyone who can be suspected can indefinitely can uh, can be detained and imprisoned, and you know, so what happened? That what happened like, like many many cases. So. Um, the majority of the detainees were uh, weren't in Afghanistan, even because Guantanamo went it's, it's a unique case. It's not like people were in the battlefield, they holding guns and fighting, and so no, it's not that's not the case. you know they were bringing like al Qaeda suspect or a suspect and anyone. And people took a chance, especially for some countries in Pakistan, Afghanistan, other countries, millions of money. Who can reject that? you know? Even if there is, I think, the, previous, the former uh, Pakistani prime minister, he wrote a book, I think, on the front line or something about how they uh, Pakistan handed Arabs who were in uh, foreigners who were in Pakistan or around like exchange were over 400 million dollars because Pakistan
1: needed that money. Uh, basically, this is the case. So you were saying earlier uh, that at first you were denying being involved with al-Qaeda or any terror group, but eventually... The torture just continued That eventually you just started telling them what they wanted to hear
4: of course under the torture i mean they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear this is the problem you know this is what if you look at the photos i sent you by 2000 the beginning when they when the uh, carol Rosenberg, the reporter who worked on guantanamo cases since 2002 when she compared the files when we arrived at guantanamo uh, they classified me as Al-Qaeda, uh, uh, the commander of the 55th Brigade <laughs> by 2016. Who's supposed, to, by the way, be
1: a, who's supposed to, by the way, be a middle-aged man, right? And you're
4: yes. 19,
1: 20 years old. Yes, I was 19. Yeah. So
4: basically by 2016, they said actually it is it is unclear if he actually joined Al-Qaeda and none of Al-Qaeda members or Al-Qaeda leaders recognized him as a member of Al-Qaeda. And we had a long argument and fight with the government about this. I said, either you see he's in Al Qaeda or he's Al Qaeda. Yeah. Basically, they know we I wasn't Al Qaeda. I wasn't involved with any kind of like, uh, terrorism activity or attacks or any kind of affiliate with any groups. But simply, they said, literally, we cannot say we uh, detain an innocent man for around 15 years. Basically, also, uh, they. <laughs> If they, if they don't like you, they won't release you. If they don't like you, they will never clear you. My behavior wasn't the camp. they said I, I behaved uh, ironically and they do like my behavior because hunger, strike, fighting, resisting, you know, fighting stop the torture, the, the, the interrogation and, and so on. and it's just it's just I think any any of you, any man, any woman, any uh, free person would do the same. If you end up in a place in definite detail, torture, abuse, everything around you designed to break you. And where I came from, as a tribe man, I we live with by our code. You know, we have we live with, with our values, faith. Uh, you know, we have uh, by our tribe code. You know, trans transparency, honor, courage, uh, hospitality, sacrifice. This is our life. So I was behaving the way I was raised. They took that behavior as instigating as, they even accused us to be al Qaeda cell operating within Guantanamo, believe it or not. And the problem was we, our argument with them, what you do here is wrong. And the way we we just reacting to whatever you thought at us. And if you react, if you say, ah, oh, I'm in pain or scream, oh, you're a bad person, you are, you're a terrorist. So when, you, when I look at that way behavior, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you did. In their eyes, by default, every Muslim is a terrorist. So it's the way it is. Even now, we still feel it that way. Because as you see how uh, George W. Bush and his species and the administration misused and abused neither of them, basically, now we are talking about 20 years after what they score war and terror, there, there is no justice for Mal. there is no justice to. They, this, they, they abuse American justice system. Today we are talking about Guantanamo because it is the way how uh, those people abuse American justice system by fighting for Guantanamo. We are actually fighting also for American justice system. And uh, Guantanamo is uh, stand in American uh, history and uh, uh, pol- uh, uh, policy.
0: So it's been 20 years since Gitmo was open. You were among the first wave of prisoners there. Tell us about how you got there. What you remember about your journey to Gitmo from the CIA black site.
4: You know, <laughs> arriving at Guantanamo, I remember that moment when they took the whole of my head. It was a, a journey of 40, years, 40 hours on the air from plane to another. They had a. A sign around my neck beat me because anyone who deemed to be big fish, what they call it, they were treated even differently. Even in the journey, the journey was also part of the interrogation process. They, you know, they keep us. Uh, they keep. They used to keep us as much as as long as in the air and to keep you disoriented. You know, uh, confused. So when you arrived, you are full of fear, uh, of fear and confused and no sleep, no eat, no food. You cannot use any toilet. So when you go to the interrogation, they, can, they think, oh, this is the point it's going to throw everything. Uh, when I arrived Guantanamo, the journey was tough. When we arrived, they, they have what they call process station. When, when we landed, they took us on a ferry. It was nice to feel the sea beneath us. Yeah. Yeah. We were received by the Marines who were screaming, shouting and beating all the way from as soon as we arrived until we brought to the facility, what they call the process station. At the process station, it was crazy, you know. We couldn't stand, because there's no way you can stand. Because the cold in the in the airplane, the uh, the the beating, the we're sitting on the floor all the time and unable to, I wasn't I wasn't able to, to walk. So they two of the soldiers uh hold me up and they start cutting my clothes like so fast, and they can just care. Although we're like while shackled, chain, hooded, there was like uh, my mouth was duct taped and everything is covered, basically. And I was stripped naked and threw they threw me to somewhere, like a bag, and I feel like water and there's a lot of soap, and there's like large. Cleaning brooms, actually, cleaning our bodies. For those. It was crazy, crazy. Everything was happening so fast, a lot. And even like my my brain, my mind couldn't even like keep up with the process. It just isn't nowhere, you're like lost. You're nowhere, nowhere, no states, no emotion. You cannot see, you cannot hear, you cannot smell, you cannot talk. You just feel uh, the pain. Even your body refused to feel anymore. And because every cell in our bodies was like screaming. Then we we're taken from place to place. A lot of things they used to do, like hours and hours sitting in our knees. They force us, like two guards force you to sit on your knees. Then circle to the interrogation. Then I was dragged to my cell naked, to the cage, actually in a cell. As soon as the guard landed on me, it was, you know, they put me on the floor and they sat on me, like six of them. It's like a message, you know, they treat people. And they start to me, and uh, uh, they took the, uh, the hood, the goggles, the uh, earmuffs, and I was left ducted. You know, it was like I couldn't see because bright light and being in the dark for long, it just like, and all of a sudden, really bright light. And also, my eyes were swelling from the beating, <laughs> really big like frog took me a few hours to, to get like to see around me. And all I can see, uh, you know, I was asking like, am I in hell, am I dead? It, like, is already dead? Because everything was happening so far so cruel, and uh, new place, new people. We can hear the shouting guard shouting at everyone. And uh, when I uh, looked, I could see the orange vigorous around me. Large of orange uh, figures. Second day, I could see all of us like shaved, you know, uh, pros everywhere, uh, blood. And you can see, you know, the, the, the beating was really hard and like swollen faces, split uh, uh, lips, um, uh, proses everywhere, actually. Some of the uh, brothers couldn't even walk with the beating. So this is the first moment at night at uh, Guantanamo. And I didn't know where I was or until when or was going to happen to us. And we're just waiting for the interrogators. Everything was designed that for interrogators to come to, they can start to extract the most inform, uh, important information that will save the galaxy from those, the worst of the worst. We were deemed to be the worst of the worst terrorist killers, the most vicious killers on, uh, on planet. So some of the guards were even terrified of us because they told them, if you take your eye one second, they can split your neck. They are highly trained, professional killers. <laughs> you know, when I started talking about the stuff, I was laughing and feeling bad, laughing, sometimes crying. You know, when I was talking to the guards, later on in 30 years, I said, guys, look, I am a fucking <laughs> professional vicious killer, be careful. Come on, for for you or no one. <laughs> <laughs> because the guard lived with us for years and years. They knew who we are, they know our fights, they know our behavior. Because when someone lived with you for a year, they watch you 24 hours eating, drinking, shitting, whatever you do. So then, guys, do you know who I am? Yeah, you are for for, for one. I said, no, I'm not for, for one. I'm I'm the worst of the worst. Yeah, come on, man. Said, yeah, this is the truth. <laughs> so we we start making joke about it because even the guards, the first gar- time they came to Guantanamo, so when they the first came, they were so terrified. They used to take them to 9-11 Square or, and told them the one who did this at Guantanamo, and be careful, they are killers. They, they are you know smart. They are like so the guards terrified. So when the guards used to arrive, they say, "Hi guys, welcome. I have been waiting for you guys," and I can see the guards like some of them get shocked. You know, someone like I am waiting for you guys. I said, nice Timothy Hansen so, Sometimes I try to break you know the, this kind of like a barrier a fear a barrier fears, yet to tell them the message that's who we are you no know, people in a few months take maybe a couple months the guards sterilizing this and the people we, they were told about so with, with many of the guards we forged really strong uh, friendship because as soldier as a trans soldier, you can spot who's bad, who's good, and who's a killer, who's not. So sometimes I told them, he is like your general for, for one. Come on, come on, man. This is paper. I said, this is who I am. I'm, I'm a Qadir general. I am not I'm a commander now. So we developed also some kind of sense of humor at Guantanamo with, with each other, and brothers and guards. What I can say also that not just detainees who are victims of Guantanamo, also the guards and some some of uh, some staff who also were victims of Guantanamo machinery, they forced to do things they don't believe in. And they were forced to, to torture and abuse some prisoners. You know, uh, I don't want to be in their shoes because not anyone can stood Or you know, like they have like as military, they have to follow the orders. I'm not making an excuse for them, but what I want to say that even those people were victims. American justice was also victim of the policy that conducted Guantanamo. Guantanamo is an idea that. It's not just the place, you know, that created our of the legal, of the system, of the justice system. And Guantanamo represent, uh, as you know, for the last 20 years, oppression, injustice, lawlessness, abuse of power, and uh, uh, injustice in most part, and, and 20 years of indefinite detention. Imagine if 18, 20, or 25 years uh, or men kidnapped, american basically kidnapped tortured abused indefinitely detained punished for practicing the religion how american would react if like people were americans not the arabs so basically what they like all of us were muslims and uh, as you see there is a lot of secrecy around uh, guantanamo the government tell you what they want to tell you so i wrote my book try to take to take the readers inside guantanamo to tell stories about the life we shared there I I intentionally tried not to focus on torture abuses, just to bring mostly on the life of within Guantanamo.
0: And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to Com. That was amazing. That was inspiring. That was infuriating. I can't believe that these people, after going through the literal torture that they went through, uh, I can't believe that the United States is. well, I can, they're so shameless that they don't do anything to help pay any, make any amends, pay any reparations. I mean, these people leave this torture center and they still don't even have their basic rights. They should be not having to worry about any of that stuff at all. I mean, they should be receiving reparations. It's just, it's disgusting.
1: It's hard to put into words, you know, and one thing there's so much like, um, criminality to discuss when you're talking about Guantanamo that it gets overlooked that this gulag is in Cuba. Oh, yeah. And it's not Cuba that is torturing prisoners. It's the US that is torturing prisoners. And why is the US even doing it there? Cuba doesn't want to have a U.S. torture site in its country. But it's because the US basically has taken that territory from Cuba and won't it won't give it back. It's just one more absurdity of this whole thing and it's just amazing that anybody in the US government can even think about opening their mouth to lecture other people about human right. rights when stuff like this is still happening and people like Mansoor have not been compensated for the hell that they went through
0: the combination of this and Julian Assange basically means that the United States has to just never op- should never open its mouth about anything related <laughs> to human rights civil liberties free press I mean, it's it, it's a disgusting Kafka-esque system that they created. They haven't done anything to acknowledge that mistake. The people who survive there are still living incredibly difficult lives. It's like the opposite of what should be happening. And also, you know, the Center, uh, the Center for Constitutional Rights. We should give them a shout out for all the work that they did, and the late Michael Ratner um rest in power who was the uh, head of the ccr the center for constitutional rights and also did so much for the brothers as mansoor calls them the brothers of um uh gitmo the men inside of gitmo and big wag of the finger if we're going to give them a shout out we should give a wag of the finger to the uh red cross which as mansoor uh details in his book was really there just to legitimize gitmo They didn't speak out on behalf of the prisoners. They would just tell them to drink water and eat their food so they wouldn't drop dead. So they should actually, they got a lot of donations. They should just pay those donations forward to the survivors of Gitmo, who they sold down the river, who they threw under the bus.
1: And maybe Barack Obama should give some of his uh, vast fortune to the prisoners of Guantanamo who, you know, despite his promises to close Guantanamo, it stayed open under his watch. And he's since leaving office become a very, very wealthy man. So he can afford yeah. to uh, compensate the people whose torture he oversaw.
0: He should actually just get out of his um, Martha's Vineyard mansion and let, like, cage that organization that Mentor is part of. They should take that over, have like a residency program there, an artist in residency or just a sen- i mean yeah it's it's absurd i mean it's just it's heartbreaking and then of course as you guys discussed um yemen of course is under attack by the by saudi arabia with the support of the united states you know joe biden rebrand he didn't he didn't stop that war he kind of rebranded it um but it's on top of all that he's gone through he can't see his family serbia i mean he has to be in serbia of all places
1: believable and yet look at him he still maintains such a I know. Uh, a warmth and uh, he still, as he talked about, maintains his humanity. It's, um, yeah. And optimism. It's pretty, and it's pretty inspiring. It puts things yeah. it helps put things, not that he's there for us to like, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, get perspective yeah. on our own lives. Yeah. That's not, but it, it, it does help. It does. So very grateful to him for uh joining us. And, uh, his book is really something special. It's, yeah. It's a great read. It.
0: Yeah. All right. So make sure that you, um, become uh, Substack supporters because then you'll see, you'll get to access the extended interview that we did with Mansoor. And also you get to access the shows without any ads if you become Substack supporters. That's just at Useful idiots.substack.com. Also make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash Idiots. Hit subscribe and hit the bell. Also another reason that you're gonna wanna join Substack is that we're starting to release the audio of our Monday mornings Live streams. So that means that, as people may know, on Monday mornings, we do a Monday morning, M O N D A Y M O U R N I N G, which is where we go over the Sunday morning shows that we watch so you don't have to. So we're going to start releasing the audios from that for uh, Substack subscribers. Also, major breaking news coming from Spotify you can now rate and review. So please go and rate and review us on Spotify leave a nice review, give us a bunch of stars, do the same thing on iTunes if you haven't already done that. Wherever you listen to us, you can still do it all over the place. Like I listen to stuff on iTunes, but I what I would do if I were not me, well, actually what I still can do as me, because there's no law against this, I'll, I'll go into Spotify, leave a, a rate and review there, and I'll do uh, iTunes, leave a rate and review there. And you guys wow. can all So do
1: Kay, you're saying me is me the average audio content consumer. I have the opportunity now to not just rate and review Useful Idiots on iTunes, but on a whole different platform, Spotify as well. So Spotify won't report me to the police if I don't even listen regularly on Spotify. But I still leave a great review for Useful Idiots. Wow.
0: Right. Because the review won't be like, I love listening to Useful Idiots on Spotify. That would be illegal to say.
1: (laughs) That would be illegal. Yes. Yes. We
0: can't. We can't encourage
1: that. No. Yeah, no, we, we can encourage
0: that. But you can yeah. say, you know, this is a great show.
1: Yeah. And if you do commit perjury, we will not, we are not liable for your legal fees.
0: Right. No,
1: we're not. Your okay. And whatever punishment that may ensue, including possibly being sent to Guantanamo Bay. I, I yeah. have to people warn people about that. Yeah. That, that's a possibility.
0: That's a possibility. Can't wait for Mencer to see this uh, this out. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash useful idiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at useful idiot pod and use the hashtag useful idiots pod. Join us Mondays at 10 AM for the useful idiots Monday morning show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows. So you don't have to watch them.